What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 198 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday evening, late into the night here. By the time we're done, it might be Monday morning, Eastern time, but joining me on the podcast, because it is so late, it has to be Scott Coleman. What's up, man? What's up, Brad? Yeah, it's been a little while since we've done one of these. I did one with Eric a few weeks back, um, I think, for the Will Smith signing. And, um, you know, it's been a fairly busy offseason, at least for the Braves standard. And uh, But, yeah, good to do one of these and some stuff to talk about. Yeah, it's still been fairly quiet, I would say, overall in Major League Baseball. But the Braves have been arguably the most active team to this point. Um, with that said... Nothing has happened since the last time that Eric and I recorded a week ago. So um, we were we were due for one of these. Obviously, uh, there, there'll be a couple more of these throughout the offseason where nothing actually happens in an entire week. Um, and as a result of that, we're going to look ahead more than behind on this podcast. I did want to stop real quickly and ask you kind of what you thought of the uh, the last two moves that you have not discussed on the podcast. It was Eric and I talking about Travis Darnot and Chris Martin last time around. Anything that uh, struck you as interesting about those two moves that you want to touch on and sort of spin forward? Because I know it's happened a while ago, but uh, you haven't been able to weigh in in this form yet. Yeah, I think, you know, I I liked both signings uh, for what they were. It's it's hard to get super excited about two-year deals for either a, you know, a a platoon catcher or a seventh or eighth inning reliever. But um, I did like both moves. They felt like good depth moves for the front office to take care of early. Um, I think there was a little bit, I was a little surprised by the reaction to to Darno signing. Um, You know, once, once Yasmani Grandal signed with the White Sox, and I think that was a couple of days before Darno actually signed with the Braves, it was apparent, and we talked about this on, on the podcast, that you know, other than Grandall, there was really no one out there. And if the Braves wanted to make a splash, Grandall had to be the guy. And then I think Darno was was pretty clearly, um, I, I think he was pretty clearly the second best uh, option on the market. Um, he's a guy who isn't going to wow you, but he was somebody who had a weird 2019 and, and bounced around from the Mets and um, and the Dodgers, and then ultimately landed with the Tampa Bay Rays and was a key piece for them. If you talk to people around the Rays, somebody who was as valuable as anybody on that team, he was, a, I believe, their cleanup hitter for a, a decent chunk of the year. Um, somebody who is regarded as a pretty good pitch framer, a guy who, who calls a good game. He's been around the block for a while. Um, and he's also familiar with the National League East, spending all those years with the Mets. So um, I liked it. Two years and $16 million, I believe it was. You know, maybe it was an extra million dollars or two to get him, but I think that's kind of the price you pay. The catcher market has been pretty strong early in the winter. Um, and then Martin, I think, is somebody who the Braves certainly enjoyed having. I, I think it's not crazy to say he was the team's best reliever uh, down the stretch last year, and we talked about just how uh, critical it was that whenever he went down in the first game of the playoffs, that I mean, it changed the series. And I know people can say, well, it wasn't the reason they lost, and that's fine, but um, it really did change everything when he hurt himself before uh, game one. So again, it's it's you worry a little bit with relievers, especially one like Martin, who's 33 or 34 years old. Again, a two-year deal for 14 million bucks. It's not a bad deal by any means. Um, and if he's even close to the guy he was in the last couple of seasons, he should be a really nice option for the seventh and eighth innings. Yeah, and we'll leave it there for now. I think that you know we obviously covered it on the last podcast um, with Eric and I, so please go back and subscribe to the show, etc. when it comes to um, checking out on the full deep dives that we did on Darno and Martin. Um, 
Yeah, but we can spin it forward a little bit now, I would say, to the non-tender deadline, which is on Monday. Teased it a little bit a, little bit, a few minutes ago, but uh, that deadline is going to be interesting in some ways. There's not a ton going on for the Braves. I think there's not too much intrigue, but there's a couple of guys who at least could be interesting. The guys who are absolutely going to be tendered, we can kind of name right now, I think. Uh, Mike fulton is a lock, I would imagine. Luke Jackson feels like a lock at less than a $2 million projection for Luke. Uh, Dansby Swanson, of course, is a uh, absolute lock. Um, I guess the rest of the guys I think are likely. You might be able to, you might correct me and to put them uh, into the lock category, but um, I would say Adam Duvall is likely at about a three and a half to $4 million yeah. projection. Um, Charlie Colberson seems to be very likely at sub $2 million projection. And then uh, Johan Camargo um, at about a million and a half, according to MLB trade rumors. Those guys feel like they're pretty much locks, but not, I guess, not quite in the lock category as far as uh, as Fulte and Dansby are, for instance, but still very, very likely to do that. Um, yeah. And then you have a couple and of I, guys. Go ahead. I was going to say, and I think it's important to remind everybody these deals are not guaranteed. I mean, yes. just because they tender them, um, one, there's the negotiation process. Again, those are just uh, predictions or guesses by um, by trade rumors. But yeah, um, it's, uh, you know, it's it's worth remembering last year the Braves tendered basically everybody, and these are not deals guaranteed by any means, so they do have some flexibility in that regard. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely important to note, and it came into play last year with everything that went down with Aroidas and etc. So it would not blow anybody away if the Braves were to tender one of these players and then not have them on the roster. That isn't that uncommon. Um, but the guys who I think are more intriguing to discuss a little bit here, the top dollar guy is Shane Green, who we talked about a lot in the last few podcasts because of the fact that it felt like a very likely tender, and still does, in my opinion. But there's at least... I guess some question now after they spent so much money on the bullpen and Green's projection is like in the seven million dollar range, six and a half million according to MLB trade rumors. I would go ahead and tender him pretty clearly, but we'll come back to that in a second. And then the other guys who are at least up for debate, um, Grant Dayton at about eight hundred thousand dollar projection. Um, because of what you just said about it being being non guaranteed, I would imagine they still do that because it's just basically just no money. And Dayton is not someone who's terribly interesting to me. And he's kind of old, by the way. He's 32, which surprised me in doing, in doing prep for this podcast. Um, but that's, you know, it's less than a million dollars, non-guaranteed. There's not, a, there's not a whole lot of downside there. And then the last guy is uh, John Ryan Murphy. That's the one where everyone's assuming he's not going to be tender because it's um, it's $1.2 million. And he's like the Braves' sixth catcher, I think, at this moment. Yeah, especially with a couple other guys progressing. Yeah, I mean, he's I mean he's pretty clearly fourth, I think, right now between Flowers, Darno, and, and even Alex Jackson. So... He would yeah. be emergency and, only, and you can go grab an emergency guy for uh, you know a third of that price at some point. Yeah, I mean, there's I guess there's some value to having him non guaranteed, but you can't even really trade him. There's no there's not going to be any, any real value there. So he's the one I think I'm I'm assuming is not going to be tendered. Is there anybody else on that list of guys? And I guess there are what ten of them or so um, that you're expecting to not be tendered, or, or is there actually any intrigue for you? Because I think it's fairly mm-hmm. cut and dry on my end. That yeah. you know everyone but everyone but Murphy for me, but anybody else that you would sort of circle as a question mark on that list? Um, I you know I, I think I'm with you. I think everybody but Murphy is going to get tendered. Um, uh, Grant Dayton is somebody who's kind of interesting. You mentioned his age. Um, he's dirt cheap, but he's also somebody who the Braves have stuck with for a couple of years. He's he's been through injuries with the team, and whenever he's gotten out there, I thought he's been 
decent. He's had problems staying healthy. Um, but again, because he's going to make less than a million dollars, you know, why not? It's one of those things you can never have too many relievers. Um, even if you bring him to spring training and you give him basically a month long tryout and then cut him before that, like three week before opening day deadline, you're out like a hundred thousand dollars. It's really not a whole lot of money. Um, and, and I'm with you. I think there's really no upside to non-tendering Shane Green at this point. They gave up a couple decent prospects for him. Um, and, and at $6.5 million, I think that's a fair value for him. Um, we touched multiple times on his peripherals last year and, and that he outperformed with, with the Tigers and then came back down to earth. But he was pretty good for the Braves um, after those first couple weeks. He looked a lot like the guy the Braves thought they were trading for whenever uh, whenever they made that deadline deal. So. I would imagine other than Murphy, who's really just kind of taking up space at this point, um, everybody will get tendered, and then you you have the next three or four months to kind of figure out what you want to do with them. Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously Green, obviously Green isn't quite, I don't know, I don't even know how to say this. I think he's, I think he's worth that number, the projected salary of $6.5 million pretty easily. Um, I think he'd be tradable on that deal, if nothing else, so there's no reason not to offer it. If the Braves just didn't want to have him at that number, I would sort of understand it because of all the outlay that they'd already done in the bullpen. But even if that was the case, even if it was just to trade him, which I wouldn't necessarily do, but even if they just wanted to do that, it's cheap enough in practice or in theory that you could pick it up and trade him. I think you would have no problem trading him um, if you wanted to do that. You wouldn't get a ton for him because it's not, yeah, it's not, sure. it's, it's not a massive bargain. I mean, six and a half million dollars for Shane Green, I think is good value, but it's not some incredible value for someone who's going to just return this massive prospect haul if you trade him. Um, but still, there's just no reason not to do it, in my opinion, particularly yeah. because it's non-guaranteed, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I wish there was more intrigue for our purposes on the podcast, but there's really not, in my opinion. There's, I mean, I think there's one non-tender guy with Murphy, and if they didn't tender Dayton, like, I wouldn't care, necessarily. Uh, <laughs> We're not going to do an emergency pod tomorrow night if they don't tender Grant Dayton? I mean, no. And the other, I mean, I can already hear some people, <laughs> people asking now about Adam Duvall, because this, this time last year, there was the same sort of dance that they did with Duvall. You know, if it's less than $4 million as projected... Again, not not a slam dunk, ridiculous value for Adam Duvall, but because of where they are in the outfield at the moment, they kind of need Adam Duvall. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, we are very pro Adam Duvall in this podcast in general, I think. At least I am. I will speak for myself on this one. But sure. Adam Duvall for sub $4 million, given the state of the outfield, is kind of a no-brainer for me. So go ahead and do that. I, I can already hear people asking about that, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sold on that one. Go ahead and I mean, if if they stuck with him last year for three million, don't you think they're going to stick with him again? I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, I would be stunned if they didn't. I mean, half. I'm only bringing it up just to be devil's advocate more than anything because I would be absolutely floored if they didn't tender him at sub four million dollars. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think he'll play more this year. Honestly, I mean, from at least from what we've heard and what Anthopolis has said publicly, I think if the season started today, they would be at, they would actually be in a platoon with with uh, Duval and Marquecas at this moment. Now, how much that holds up or how much that changes, et cetera, is up for debate. But I, I do think that Duvall enters the season with a real role and you have to keep him. So, Yeah, I do too. And I think there's value. In, I mean, you know what you're getting with him. It's not some big surprise. So, yeah, it's worth keeping him around for a pretty minimal cost. We totally agree on that. So uh, if anything happens on Monday that is that is a surprise, we will cover it on our next podcast. But I'm, I'm expecting a, a relatively ho-hum non-tender deadline and then maybe some more intrigue with guys like Dayton as we get closer to spring training if they are not performing or if not um, terribly sexy in nature. 
All right, Scott, um, we're going to do a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about some mailbag stuff because uh, we are at that point in the offseason where nothing else is going on. So we're going to talk about some mailbag. <laughs> Hold on tight, everybody. Yeah. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Scott, let's talk about some mailbag. Uh, I picked out four or five of these. I, we got a lot of questions. So by the way, thank you to everyone that submitted a question. I got a lot more options than I thought I was going to get. So uh, shouts to all of you. Uh, you're all ready to talk about the Braves in November. Uh, and now it's December as we're talking now. But yeah, I was I was impressed. So thank you for all of these all the questions. Uh, let's dive right in, though. The first one comes from Mr. I believe it's Seifert. My apologies if that's the wrong pronunciation on Twitter. Um, and it's a pretty simple one. What do you expect from Austin Riley in 2020? That's the entire question. And it's as much as that's kind of simple, it is kind of interesting because Austin Riley uh, last year was extremely hot and cold. So I will leave it there for now, Scott. What do you expect from Austin Riley? You know, that's kind of the million dollar question because if he's going to be the guy that he was in his first, you know, six weeks in the majors, then the need for a, you know, power bat, right handed bat, third baseman, whatever you want to call it goes down significantly. But I think maybe it's just my recollection or, or, or what I've seen. But it seems like so many folks have almost overlooked just how bad Riley was after that first six weeks or so to begin his career. I mean, he was really, really bad. Uh, struck out more than a third of his plate appearances. Um, you know, really wasn't walking at a very good clip. Um, th- there wasn't a ton to really like, honestly. Um, I guess his defense was, especially in the outfield, was improved um, and better than I think what people thought it was going to be, and that was an encouraging sign. But really, it was it was a really rough goal for for Austin after uh, maybe July one and and from on from there. So um, I really don't know what to expect from him. It seems like if you read uh, Mark Bowman, uh, he expects Riley to begin the year in in Gwinnett. Now things can obviously change, and spring training will probably play a pretty big role in that, but. Um, Bowman sure think, seems to think they're going to give Riley a little more time in the minors to figure things out. He's always been a guy who's had some swing and miss concerns. Um, and while he, he obviously has some potential and he has a chance to be a, a solid contributor for the Braves uh, down the road, I'm just not sure 2020 is going to be that year. So I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but ultimately I'm going to guess he begins the year, maybe almost in kind of what I, Adam Duvall did last year, begin the year in the minors, and then whenever an injury arises – uh, perhaps he gets a shot with the big league Braves. Yeah, I mean, I could already hear people saying, 
like why is he going to be in Gwinnett? He he killed Gwinnett last year, and I, I'll be the first one to acknowledge that he had a 146 WRC plus in Gwinnett. He was lighting the world on fire before he came up, but even then, he had one. I remember this vividly. A like a two week stretch where he was just terrible in Gwinnett. Like he's just going to be the kind of guy who's going to be hot and cold. I think for the duration. Um, some of that is going to be mitigated as he gets more comfortable, I would imagine. But I've never been the biggest Austin Riley fan. I do think he's very talented. I think he has a role in the future for the Braves. But I'm with you. Like, 2020 does not seem to be the arrival date that people might have imagined it being uh, a year ago or maybe six months ago at this point in time. Um, you referenced how bad he was. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read the numbers again. Um, the last 50 games that Austin Riley played in the major leagues, he had a 170 batting average, a 237 on base percentage and a 346 slugging. That's a sub 600 OPS over 170 plate appearances or so. Like I know it's not that big of a sample size, but he was just terrible. He he really was. Plus you throw in the fact that he's not he's not a gold glover defensively and he can't really run. Like that combination is not great. You you better hit. If you're Austin Riley's profile, you got to hit and um he didn't hit. So, I know he hit the cover off the ball early on when he arrived and that's worth pointing out too like he was awesome for that stretch of time but he does seem to be the kind of guy who pitchers adjusted to and uh, he didn't adjust back I'm not giving up on Riley by any stretch of the imagination but you can't go in at least this is me talking now I don't think you can go into 2020 with him as a planned part of your prominent lineup on opening day like maybe he impresses in in spring training like you said and just makes it to where you have to have him on the team. That's a good yeah. problem to have. But at this moment in December, on December 1st, as we're recording this, you can't, at least in my mind, you cannot plan on Austin Riley being a anything close to an everyday player on the team. You just can't. Yeah. That, that's where I am on it. Well, and I think for me, um, I think as things stand on, you know, December 1st is where we're recording this. I, I think I would almost rather, if it's between, if, if the offseason works out to the point where it's, Johan Camargo and Austin Riley as your third base options. And I don't think it's going to come to that, but let's just go along with it. I think I would prefer Camargo playing almost every day than Riley playing just against lefties and basically being in a platoon. I would rather him be in Gwinnett and playing and getting regular at-bats. Um, that's just me personally. Again, I'm with you. By no means are we giving up on on Riley after a couple of uh, poor months after such an incredible start to the year. Uh, because he really was. He's shown throughout his minor league career and, and then obviously whenever he debuted with the Braves just what kind of impact his power can bring to a game. But um, again, they have to find a little more cons- uh, consistency and certainty with him, I think, before they hand over the keys for anything uh, significant. Yeah, and worth noting on the uh, – we have, we have another question in a second about the Camargo-Riley duo at third base, which we'll get to. But um, they have the same splits – that's that's a it's not an ideal platoon. Let's just say I know Camargo's a switch hitter, but Camargo hits left-handed pitching well. Like that's that's his side of the plate that he hits that he hits well, and so does Riley. So they're not a great complement to each other. Ed Camargo is a better fielder, for instance. He's older. Um, I'm obviously a little bit lower on Camargo than some people are and have been for a while, and we were I guess right about that last year. But uh, yeah, they're not a great platoon partnership. Let's just say that. No, I've got to think. I mean, if this team's trying to win a World Series, I think you have to have a more solidified third base pairing. And this kind of does lead into our next question, but um, I think you have to aim a little bit higher than those two. Yeah, let's let's ask the next question now. A couple of different people, a couple of different people actually asked the same question, so I'm not going to attribute to any single person. I just I kind of combined them all, so my apologies on that. But basically, the gist is: Do you feel more comfortable with Ender and Ciarte in center field every single day? 
or the combination of Camargo and Riley at third base, and you can't say neither, Scott. So you have to pick one. Which one do you like more, Ender uh, every single day in center or third base? I know my answer, but I will yeah. let you go first. Yeah, this isn't really much for me, at least. I would take Ender in center field and then upgrade third base. What about you? Yeah, it's fairly clear for me. I mean, we're, we went from being very high on Ender to being low on him when people thought he was an awesome hitter and to, to the point where I am now high on him, I think compared to the consensus because Ender, you know what he is like, you know, at least, at least I know what he is. Uh, he's a slightly below average hitter, but in center field with good glove and he's not that bad of a hitter. Like he has his WRC plus is between 90 and hundred and five straight seasons. So that's basically the epitome of average to slightly below average, which is not sexy at all. But he's only going to be 29. He's a really good defender at a premium position. Like, that guy is not going to blow you away. But if that's your seventh best um, position player, you're fine. And that's what it would be. But I think that's very, very, very clearly a safer, better option than third base right now. It Right now Mm. it would be. So... I mean, it's it's definitely possible the third base will be better because we, we've seen Camargo have a great season two years ago. We've seen Riley have a great month last year. But I think if we're being honest about what's the most likely yeah. outcome of those two things, Ender is so much safer that he's he's the only answer. You know, I could see, I can envision the Braves next year winning the division, winning the National League, whatever you want to call it, with Ender as, your, as their starting center fielder. I can see that. Yes, um, I agree. I don't think I can get to barring Austin Riley just ascending into superstar overnight. I just don't see how I can get there with either Camargo or Riley being their everyday third baseman. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe I'm in the minority here, but I, I just I think they have to get a better, uh, more certain option at third base if this is a team that wants to repeat and win the division for the third year in a row and and hopefully make a run in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I think the way that you would do it to play devil's advocate, I think that you could maybe do that at third base if you upgraded somewhere else, like the corner outfield spot, for instance. Like if you went out and made a big trade, like a big splash trade for a great corner outfielder, maybe you go into the season and have your only weakness in the lineup be third base. Like that is conceivable to me, and that's a path where most teams have one weak spot in in their lineup. And if that's third base, then so be it. But you can't go into the season with third base as it is, plus Marcakis and maybe Duvall in a corner spot, and and have an, and have Ender like that. That doesn't yeah. that doesn't work. And Dansby, who right, and Dansby, really, I mean, exactly. he's never shown he can be a consistent hitter for through you know three and a half four years in the majors now. Yeah, I mean, and and again, that's that's perfectly fine at shortstop because of the defense he plays. I think his overall contributions are fine, but lineup wise. It's just it really is tough to get to a lineup that you like with no upgrade at third base. It just it's hard. You'd have you'd have to get a big splash trade piece somewhere. Like I'm trying to think of even a name to throw out there, but like a a four win corner outfielder, <laughs> like for it to make any sense at all to go mm-hmm. into the season. You well, would have um, to get you would have to go out and get a uh, Nicholas Castellanos, a Marcelo Zuna. I think one of those kind of players. And even then that isn't without, for me, yeah, that's, not yeah, even, that's, yeah. Not even, that's not even, that's not even, that's not even that good. I mean, those guys are helpful and they're better than what you have now, but sure. would you go, would you rather have the Marquegas Duval platoon and Josh Donaldson, or would you rather have the 
Camargo Riley duo and Castellanos. I, I would yeah, certainly rather I have Donaldson. <laughs> no, for sure. Not even close. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, no. And I think it's, but I think that's kind of what, and I know we're going down the rabbit hole a little bit here as no, we always fine. do. Um, it's but a, it's a mailbag show, Scott. This is on the very, this is the whole point of this. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's almost midnight. Um, I, I think on the very real chance, and I'm, I'm sure the Braves are preparing for this on the very real chance that Josh Donaldson signs elsewhere they have to figure out a plan B and they won't have a ton of time to figure out a plan B. Um, you know, I've kind of got the, I've, I've, I've had the sense that as every day passes, I think it's less likely the Braves reunite with Donaldson. That's just kind of a gut feeling and it could be totally wrong. Um, but you do get the sense. And I think most Braves fans share this opinion that if they don't get Donaldson, if, if some team just offers a ludicrous contractor, he just wants to move on for whatever reason. They have to have a, a legitimate plan B because of their other options uh, internally right now. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Uh, we'll get to Donaldson uh, a little bit later, I think, as part of one, at least one of my answers to one of these questions. But um, that's probably enough on the uh, on the Camargo Riley duo segment of the podcast. Um, next question. Comes from Mike Posta or Pasta. I'm not really sure which one it is, so my apologies. Um, and he says, with all of the hype around Drew Waters and Christian Pache, is it better for the Braves to go for it in 2020 by maybe trading one of them? Again, that's that's the biggest part of this question is by maybe trading one of them, or would you rather hold tight for a longer, stronger window of contention lay, laying up for the future like 2022 and beyond so basically it comes down to would you rather if it meant being competitive more competitive this year in 2020 would you rather trade one of those big position player prospects or would you rather hold on tight knowing that it probably might that it might make you a little bit worse now but also lengthen your competition window um for me with stuff like this it just comes down to what you can get for them i would not actively try to trade either of those two players away um, I would ultimately prefer to use some of the pitching depth to make a trade happen. Uh, but it, it just depends on the return. I mean, you know, if, if you're talking about a player with a year or two of control, unless they are a superstar, I, I wouldn't trade either. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit lower on waters personally, so I think I'd be more inclined to trade him um, maybe for a controllable pitcher or something like that. But um, ultimately, I, I, it's hard to answer just because you don't know what their value is. I mean, if you can add a legitimate star, if, if it, if it was Trevor story and you had to include one of those guys, then it's like, okay, maybe, maybe I would do that. Or, or Mookie Betts or Xander, Bo- or not Xander Bogarts, uh, Lindor, or whoever it may be. Um, you know, you never want to say no, a prospect self limits. And I don't think either of those guys are in that tier. Um, but ultimately just, hanging on to them on the chance that they're good because there's a very real chance that one of those two guys don't work out and then you missed a chance to, to trade them when their value is highest. Yeah, I'm sure long-time listeners know that I'm going to say this probably right now, but I am generally pro-trading prospects um, for the right price. You don't want to give those guys away. They're very, very good prospects. But um, since I've been doing this um, on the podcast, there is one, one, one prospect that I've said was off-limits, and it's Ronald Acuna. So that tells you where my bar is. Um, the Braves have had a lot of good prospects since that time. Um, a lot of them have worked out. Some of them have not worked out as well. But um, for me, if you're not an absolute uber elite, like I'm talking about top five prospect in baseball kind of guy, I am willing to trade you for the right price. Um, and for me, neither one of those guys, Waters and Pache, are on that level. They're very, very good prospects, but they're not Ronald Acuna. So, yes, they should be available. Um, am I actively trying to trade them? No. I mean... 
have to tell me what, what's going to be the price because you know I will say I would not give up those guys without a pretty legitimate star level player in return. Like you're not going to give up those guys for an unimpressive prospect. I mean, I guess there's a there's a, I'm sorry, an unimpressive player overall. I guess there's like a theory of maybe like you get a guy on a great contract that's a great value in exchange for one of those guys. But for me, I'm aiming higher. I would want a you know four win, five win player at least projected to part with either one of those guys. That'd be where I would be on that. So yeah, I don't know, some some combination you. of both. I do think that this this is the time. I mean, this is kind of the question and kind of not. But what do you make of like? I think 2020 is very clearly an opportunity for the Braves to win the World Series. I'm not telling you that, 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 that they're going to be the favorite, but I am um, I'm appreciative of keeping the window as long as it possibly can be. But at the same time, I do think that there is an element that they need to strike where they are, while the iron is hot with a bunch of their cheaper guys right now, like yeah. Ronnie and Ozzy making no money. This is this is kind of the, like the time to go, maybe not all in, but very much in. So I'm willing to go ahead and push a little bit for me. No, I'm with you. And I think, as you just alluded to, I mean, there's a fine line between being stupid and being reckless. And, you know, you see like football teams do it, it seems like, and they'll, they'll go crazy with trades and they'll, they'll kind of limit themselves into a one or two year window. Well, if they don't win anything, then they're out of luck. Right. So um, I don't think the front office is going to do that. I, I think they're going to be uh, cautious with trading their controllable assets. But I also think, um, this is not a front office and maybe I'm wrong, but one that's going to push all their chips in suddenly because they know they already have a pretty good product on, um, on their hands already. Um, it's just a matter of striking the right deal. And, and again, as I said a little while ago, ultimately I think if they are going to make a trade just based on the, uh, makeup of the farm system right now, they'd be much better off trading some of those pitchers and some of that pitching depth, uh, instead of the bat, the few couple of bats they have that think they can make an impact in the next couple of years. Yeah, I agree. And we got a bunch of questions about like arrival times for Waters and Pache um, and some of the other prospects. I'm going to save some of those for Eric because Eric's more in that sweet spot of prospect evaluation with all, with all apologies all, all apologies to you, Scott. Um, but I know I can't talk about prospects the way that Eric can. So um, Waters and Pache, like for me, it's like how much do they hit this year? Because there is going to be a spot for them, I think. If, like, if one of them just plays out of their mind, this season and forces their way up. Um, as constructed, the Braves have two spots in the outfield that are, that are not exactly going to be off limits for them. <laughs> so if if one of those guys goes nuts and uh, finds himself on the roster in July, I won't be stunned by that. Um, but at the same time, no, there's, there isn't a, there, there's not a place for them really to start the season in Atlanta. I don't think so. I don't know. No, no, I think and I think they're they're young. I mean, these aren't 24 year olds, you know, they're, no, they're, very young. they're young, very few played appearances, not even just above, you know, in double A, but even triple A. So I think they would do well. You know, if, if you told me right now they were going to spend the entire 2020 season in Gwinnett, I think that would be perfectly fine. Um, it probably means that the big league Braves outfield ended up working out, too, which is a good thing. Um, but with guys like this, there's just no reason to rush. Um, you know that you have internal options at the big league level who can at least be passable and serviceable if not outright good um so there's there's just no need to rush them the way that some of these younger guys um were pushed through the system or a couple of years ago yep strongly agree on that and we will obviously keep track of those guys in the very near future all right one or two more here scott before we get out of here on this fine sunday evening next one comes from will hutchison who asks, would you rather sign a free agent um, starting pitcher in the Wheeler, Bumgarner, Keichel tier or trade for a starting pitcher in the 
John Gray, uh, Freeland, Matthew Boyd, someone in that range. So a little bit worse pitcher, but under, under more control, potentially cheaper, um, factoring in the cost there. And obviously we have, we have to guess on costs, so there's no actual like projection of what, what a trade like that's going to mm-hmm. be. But would you rather spend the money, like big time money, on one of the better guys that are available now, or maybe use your resources to trade for a cheaper option that's under control, but maybe not, maybe not quite as good? Uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that they've already given out one of their draft picks in order to sign Will Smith, um, I'm almost more in favor of signing another uh, free agent with draft pick compensation because you're already kind of, at this point, you're not really working to pull together as much draft pool money as you possibly can. Um, you're already out your second highest pick. Now, maybe they regain that if Donaldson goes elsewhere. But for me, I would much rather get somebody like Zach Wheeler um, who I'm much higher on than someone like Bumgarner. I really don't want anything to do with Bumgarner unless it's a really good deal, a team-friendly deal, which just doesn't seem super likely at this point. Um, you know, as far as trades go, it's hard to say because you just never know what the pitching market's going to be. Um, you know, they asked about somebody like John Gray. I'm a big John Gray fan. I see a fair amount of him on the West Coast. I think he's a guy who needs to uh, who you know who who hasn't quite hit his potential and hasn't hit his ceiling, but I think if you get him out of half of his games in Coors Field, I think you could unlock something. Same with Kyle Freeland. Um, Matthew Boyd has the crazy strikeout numbers, and I know he's appealing to a lot of front offices. Um, it's just hard to answer that when you just don't know. I mean, if if the price for John Gray was uh, Bryce Wilson and uh, Shea Langoliers, uh, maybe not Shea, but like a middle tier hitting <laughs> prospect, then yeah. yes, I would say uh, do it tomorrow. Um, if the price for John Gray was going to be Kyle Wright, Drew Waters, and nope, out, uh, nope, nope, yep, Already sorry, here. can't do it. Pass. Right, so that I guess that's kind of where I didn't answer that question super well, but that's kind of where I'm at on it. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, we need some specifics on this kind of thing. I do, I do think that I am not necessarily pro throwing a bunch of money at any of the, uh, any of the free agent starting pitchers. There are some price points where I would like that. Um, but realistically, do I think that they're going to be signing a deal for a top of the line starting pitcher that I'm actually going to like? <laughs> probably, probably not. It's not impossible, but it's not likely in my opinion. So if you throw that out there as a qualifier, then trades start looking a little bit better, but you know, it all depends on how much money the starting pitchers are going to get. Like, if you can get Cole Hamels at a discount, like I'd rather do that, for instance. Um, I'd rather, even if it's Keiko at a relative discount, like, I don't think Keiko's going to blow you away, as we saw this year, like, but he's a solid mid-rotation guy that will really help you. So, you know, no definitive answer for me on this, but, uh, yeah, I'm open to all, all things, but as I said a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, trade stuff is just so hard to discuss. I know people, like, half the questions we got were, uh, throw out your throw out your favorite trade proposals and it's like okay i i'm not going to be get any good at that um and because they're just coming out of nowhere once once we get a like a real rumor i can build an offer off of it you know what i mean like i I can start thinking about stuff through the prism of something that's actually out there but i'm not going to throw a dart at like i just pick a guy out of out of random to trade for i'm not i'm just not good at that you're better at it than i am i think scott but um no i mean it's it's hard i mean we, we don't don't know who's available we don't know what teams are looking for. And I think so much of this offseason, you know, all the talk of is Francisco Lindor going to get traded and is Mookie Betts going to get traded? 
And, you know, are the Cubs going to retool and trade away? I mean, it's just hard to know what these front offices are really going to do. Kind of reminds me of what the Indians have done the last couple of years in the offseason where supposedly all of their starting pitchers are available. And it, in last summer, finally, one of them got traded with Trevor Bauer. Um, you know, it's just it's tough to know who is truly available and who isn't. Um, you know, I think the Braves or not just the Braves, but every team, I think all GMs for the most part listen on just about every player they're going to tell you no on a lot of guys i mean if somebody called asking anthopolis about acuna or freeman the answer is obviously going to be a quick no um but i think teams especially in today's uh landscape i think more and more teams are at least open and and um open to discussions again it doesn't mean trades are going to happen um but because of that it's hard to you know would i like to get francisco Lindor on the braves yes absolutely do I have any idea what it would cost to get Francisco Lindor on the Braves? <laughs> no, I have no idea. A so, lot like, is you the know, answer. to a answer lot. questions like that, it, it's a little tough. Yeah, it is, and especially with the guys who are, you know, going to be free agents fairly soon, who are incredible. Like Betts is the one. It's like, okay, any offer that I throw out there, every Braves fan's going to hate. <laughs> it's just funny. Like, <laughs> if I'm trying yeah. to be realistic about what it would actually take, most fans are going to hate it, and if I'm not, then there's no, there's no real point. So, yeah, we'll come back to that if there's any, anything actually reported. But Anthopolis has been so good about not getting stuff in the media that it's kind of hard for us right now to guess on what, what yep. they might do. Um, okay, last one, I think, on the podcast today, Scott, uh, comes from Brian on Twitter. And he says, and by the way, I think this, I think this is sort of a play on a, a uh, hypothetical, hypothetical that we've been talking about quite a bit in the last few weeks. But the question is, if I told you the Braves could only make one more reasonable addition to the roster and do absolutely nothing else the rest of the winter, who would it be? So basically, the question is, we know the current roster right now. I think if they could only sign basically one player right now the rest of the free agent period and do absolutely nothing else, which is not realistic, but it's an interesting question. Um, Building on the rest of the roster, what with what we know, it makes it kind of interesting, and also for me, it's kind of easy actually. But what what, do you, uh, what, what would you choose as your one need to address if you only had uh, one move to make? You know, I guess if I'm going to stay within the reasonable one, like like I don't know, I personally don't think Anthony Rendon is like the most outrageous thing I've ever heard because I think he's going to take a shorter deal. Like I think he's going to take like a five year, two hundred million dollar deal or something like that. I think it's more reasonable uh, now because of the money they already spent. But yeah. I, I do think that it, you're right. It's not like Garrett Cole is inconceivable to me, whereas yes, Rendon absolutely. is like really, really unlikely, but not inconceivable like like five (laughs) percent chance yeah so i mean sure rendon i i'm with you i think um for me i think it would be donaldson i think it would be i think he makes the biggest impact on the roster in an area where they just don't have a ton of great options right now um you know as long as the contract is fine and i think it ultimately will be um i would probably take donaldson over somebody like uh zach wheeler who does have some questions or bumgarner um there's really no you know marcelo zuna doesn't do a ton for me i think he's a solid player but not a great one um castellanos is a pretty good hitter but the defense worries me a little bit i worry he's more of a dh than an outfielder so um for me it would be donaldson yeah i i think this is very easily a comparison between donaldson and whichever starting pitcher that you think is the best because those are the only options for me 
I think there's not anybody else, given where the Braves are roster-wise and who is available. You know, clearly the best free agents on the market are the guys who we know are out there, like Garrett Cole, Rendon, Strasburg. They're not coming to Atlanta. So if you because of the reasonable caveat that was in the question, I scroll past those guys. And for me, it comes down to Donaldson versus Zach Wheeler, because I think Wheeler is my favorite of the free agent pitching options. Is he the best right now? You know, that's a question that's open to be answered. Um, but he is the youngest of all the intriguing top end options. Pretty clearly has the le- has the, uh, the least amount of mileage on his arm. So it comes down to those two guys for me. I think I would go Donaldson as well. P- position players are so much safer, and Donaldson's just a better player right now than Wheeler. Yeah. Like Donaldson's the best player on the market that the Braves could actually sign re- realistically. Like right now today. Obviously, the age stuff and the durability stuff before this year are real things. But if you tell me 2020 only, Donaldson is like the biggest slam dunk answer in the world. Like he, he's the he's the best player they could sign. It's just how much yeah. do you value posi- that position versus starting pitcher, and how much do you think he might decline, etc. But I would still go with Donaldson. He's my answer. If you wanted to argue Wheeler, I would listen to you because the Braves have two glaring needs at starting pitcher. And Wheeler is young and very talented. Um, he's the only guy I could see over Donaldson as a reasonable answer because I'm not a Bumgarner guy. I can already hear people yelling about Bumgarner. I think if it's Bumgarner versus Donaldson, Donaldson is very clearly the right answer out yeah. of those two guys. No, I'm with you, and I and I'm with you too on Wheeler. I think he's the guy if they are going to go after a pitcher. And I think it's clear the Braves are interested in Wheeler. Um, who knows where his free agency goes? I worry a little bit. He seems like a prime candidate to get overpaid. You know, I could if I had to put money on a free agent right now who is going to get a big contract and everybody's going to go, oh my god, I don't know about that. Um, I think Wheeler's probably who I would put it on. Well, here, here's a question for you. Like in that vein, the MLB Trade Rivers projection for Wheeler was five years, a hundred million. Yeah. Does that seem like a lot of money to you? Um, I, the years worry me a little bit. I mean, I think, I I think the trade rumors projection is probably pretty close, pretty accurate at, at five and a hundred. Um, I, I don't know if I would necessarily go that high. I just worry about going five years with pitchers. Um, he's somebody who I would obviously like, um, on the Braves. And I guess if you're in for four years, maybe you're in for five, um, but I would, I think I would cringe a little bit. Like if it came out tomorrow, the Braves signed Zach Wheeler, I'd be really excited, and I think it would obviously make them a much better team. Um, but if it was for five years and a hundred million dollars, I would worry a little bit. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I mean, he's been very, very good the last two seasons. Uh, before that, he was very good, but they had had an injury plagued year in 2017. It wasn't as good when he pitched. Um, his age is interesting to me. Like he feels younger than this, but he'll be thirty by May. He'll be thirty in May, which isn't like super old. But I think if you pulled a casual fan, you might think he's a little bit younger than that because he's not pitched all that much. Like for instance, I think Julio Tehran is younger than Zach Wheeler. If I'm yes. putting that together in my mind, yeah, yeah he mm-hmm. is. Julio's Julio's younger than Zach Wheeler, which I would be. If you didn't just if you weren't in this world and just like pay attention casually to the NL East the last few years, there's no way you'd guess that. Because <laughs> Julio's been around for so long, and he's just pitched yeah, so many a, innings. On that note, there was a Twins writer who was doing like an off-season preview, and he refused to believe that Julio was only 28 years old. Like he he was convinced he was at least 36. But yeah, I mean, he's been around forever, and Julio will be 29 in January. It's insane. Um, but yeah, to your point, I mean, 
five for a hundred for Wheeler, I would not be the guy that got on Twitter and yelled about that being too much money. But is that a value? N- no, it's not. Like it's, it might be top dollar. You might be what you, what you have to pay though. And going back to Donaldson, uh, I guess so we can just make sure we answer the question in full. If it's Donaldson for what we think is going to be a reasonable deal, like you know three for seventy five or something, versus Wheeler five for a hundred. Donaldson's the answer. I yeah, think. I would take Donaldson. Yeah, so, me too. And then just trade for a pitcher somewhere. And obviously, you know, the whole premise of the question is kind of funny because if they just did Donaldson nothing else, they'd still have a lot of holes because starting pitching would be a mess. But, uh, yeah, if you can only do one thing to fix the roster right now, I think Donaldson, the combination of him being the best player and fixing a hole is the one that puts puts it over the top for me. And I'm always going to value position players over starting pitchers. I'm just, I just am because they're just safer. Yeah, I don't know. That's probably enough. Scott, yeah. what do you think? I know. I was hoping we would get a little – when we knew we were doing this podcast, I was hoping we would get a little more news. And, of course, as I talk, we're rambling coming up on an hour here. But I was hoping uh, I was hoping we'd have some news. But I think uh, I think we covered some good bases. And um, this time in a week, uh, it will be the winter meetings, which is always exciting. Um, and, and maybe we will get some action on Monday, of course, right after we do this podcast. Um, you know, maybe there's a trade or something like that. It's usually a pretty busy day or two with the non-tender deadline. But um, as we talked about earlier, earlier, I think it'll be a fairly calm one uh, for the Braves. Yeah, it would not surprise me if they made a move in the next few days because that's just the timing and where we are on the schedule. But the Braves went, out, went more than a week between transactions, which was breaking news apparently because they were the only team that was doing stuff consistently before, before that in all Major League Baseball. So... We were due for one of these, and uh, yeah, I think we did. I think we did okay to fill the time. Um, as a programming note, I don't know when the next podcast is going to be. Uh, a week from today, I am not available at all on Sunday. I will be in Charlotte to cover the Hawks and the Hornets, which is not exciting in, in any way, shape, or form. But I will be uh, pretty much in, <laughs> indisposed for several hours. I am not an NBA guy in any way, shape, or form, and I know that is a horrible game. Yeah, it's not going to be great, I don't think, uh, but I, that's where I'm going to be. I have to drive four hours and then cover a basketball game and then drive four hours back, so I'm not available on Sunday. Um, we, we will do a podcast somewhere around the winter meetings. If the Braves do something this week, we will probably break in emergency fashion or maybe do a podcast on Saturday or something like that. Have no fear. We're not going anywhere. The podcast will not be in its normal time slot unless something crazy happens and maybe you get Scott and Eric again a week from today. But um, just keeping just keep that in mind. I tried to make sure we got got, got you guys a podcast today, and Scott um, was a trooper and got right out of the car after being in the car for several hours and is now recording this podcast late. So shouts to Scott for that one. But I, I, I guess the best way to say this would be subscribe to the podcast. If you subscribe to the podcast, you will always have it when it comes. There you go. That's right. Yeah, no, it was a uh, it was a long end of the Thanksgiving weekend, but I'm here and and uh, yeah, as always, thanks to everybody for listening. Um, tell a friend and be sure to subscribe. All right, everybody, that's your post Thanksgiving mailbag. Hope you guys enjoyed your holiday. We will see you in the very near future. So stay tuned for all that.